T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. It's Beamaz and Beamer, News Radio 930 WBEN. Good Monday morning to everybody out there. Brian Mazrowski here with you today. You'll hear from Joe a little bit later on, right? Um, so we'll have uh, quite a bit uh, to talk about today and uh, tomorrow. I'm hoping Joe is back with us tomorrow before because he is uh, getting married this weekend. So we should have a very special show before that happens. Uh, so hopefully Joe's with us tomorrow, but just me today. lot to get to. Um, I would love to talk with you about the uh, Bills game yesterday. I would love to talk for an hour. Ah. Uh, West Ham and Manchester United yesterday, I could, oh, an hour on that game. But no, 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 there's too much news to get to, too much stuff going on, uh, including news this morning that we could get closer to having that COVID vaccine authorized for use in children as young as five years old. Pfizer today announcing that they have uh, shown and they have data that shows their vaccine is effective in children aged 5 to 11, although it is a much smaller dose of that vaccine. Uh, Here to help us sort through it is Dr. Joe Chow, medical director at Western New York Immedia Care, who we've been uh, kind of relying on quite a bit throughout the last year and a half to help us sort through a lot of these uh, tough questions. Dr. Chow, thanks for being with us. Yeah, Brian, great great to be here also. Thank you. Um, you heard this news today, uh, Pfizer planning to ask the FDA to authorize its vaccine for kids ages 5 to 11 years old. Um, they say it's found to be safe, well-tolerated in kids. Um, side effects, even with the smaller dose, they say, about the same for kids as to what adults have experienced I'm just wondering, first off, you hear this news. How are you taking it? I'm taking it well, Brian. I think this is encouraging that I'm finally going to be able to fill that gap um, of population that could not get the vaccine. And it looks like it's heading towards that way. Again, it still has to get uh, approval from the FDA uh, for EUA approval. So still not quite there yet, but certainly some of this data that we're seeing, some of this information is encouraging, especially with the lower, as you mentioned, some of the lower dosages, which is uh, really about a third of what the uh, adult dosage is. So that's where uh, some of my questions begin for this. So we, we have a third. We haven't seen, you know, the data all spelled out for us yet, but 
You know, I'm wondering how we might get to that, because when you see, you know, what the vaccine is able to do is, um, you know, to stop hospitalization in people who get the vaccine uh, to, uh, you know, end the threat of death for people who get the vaccine. And they went with uh, about a third. I'm wondering, could the same result in this age group have been obtained by a quarter of the dosage or an eighth or, I mean, even a placebo, because isn't that what we're seeing in this age group as it is, a tremendously low risk of any sort of serious outcome when it comes to COVID? Um, When you're talking about the younger demographics, certainly the conversation is much different than the one we were having, you know, say eight months ago when we were talking about older Americans. Right. And certainly, uh, certainly it can be when you talk about dosages, uh, what is the correct dosage? And, and so I don't know how the companies came up with a, a third, uh, but certainly I think it's prudent to start with less. And one of the reasons, I mean, kids are not small adults and kids' immune systems are different and they tend to be more robust than adults. So I think that's something that uh, starting with low doses, uh, the lowest possible dose, uh, to get to the to get to the desired outcome is the best way of doing this. And again, uh, you know, a third of the dose does seem to be effective uh, in the trials that we're seeing right now. From the standpoint of how do we prevent hospitalizations and death, uh, seems to provide that that at that lower dosage still seems to provide that um, fairly good effective rate that we're seeing that we had seen in adults. It has to be a really tough question. Maybe that speaks to um, why this is happening much later than the vaccine's initial rollout. But it has to be a tough question with that goal of the vaccine. I mean, how do you prove something like we've talked about for over a year now? The threat to children, especially as you get lower in age, is much less. So how difficult is it or could it be to prove that the vaccine is, uh, you know, doing uh, what it is doing in older Americans and in younger kids, um, if that question makes any sense to you. I, I mean, it has to be a difficult study when the majority of kids in general won't have that negative outcome. Right. And I think it is. And I think that's why we do have trials that are ongoing and we're going to need to continue to have ongoing trials as well as numbers uh, to ensure that uh, there's not any adverse side effects. Um, I think with we found with all trials, with all vaccines, and, and you can even extrapolate that to, to medications and other things, uh, you're going to have some small proportion of, of uh, people who get it that may have some side effects. And these are something that are going to be ongoing. And we do have the ongoing uh, vaccination adverse uh, ref- uh, adverse effect reporting system out that um, uh, any any person who gets a vaccine, if they do develop any side effects or any adverse effects, they should report these and they can be investigated. So you're right. I, I don't think this is a one and done. I think this is going to be something that will continuously need to have um, more data as more people do get it. Um, again, it's up to now the, the FDA to look at the data and the, approve this or not. Um, it does seem like it's going to go that way. But again, nothing is nothing is written in stone right now. But um, you're right. There's going to always need to be ongoing trials and ongoing collection of data to just to make sure, hey, is there anything else uh, that uh, can occur from these vaccines or, again, medicines or, or, you know, kind of fill in the blank on that um, as we develop, as we have more numbers of people taking it. 
uh, I'm sure it's not going to be easy. You know, we saw from the FDA um, late last week when talking about the booster shots, their ability to unpack things a little bit, right? Uh, I mean, the talk was by today, boosters available for everybody. And the FDA able to say late last week that, well, you know, we can talk about booster shots for people who might need it. But certainly everybody doesn't need it, uh, given the way that the vaccines are, are holding up right now. How difficult will the discussion be when talking about that um, risk and reward, so to speak, with the vaccine in children? Because they do have that much lower risk of COVID, of you know catching COVID and, of course, of the negative outcomes of COVID um, than adults. How do you think that conversation is unfolding right now? I think it's going to be it's, it can be a difficult conversation, you know, especially when we're talking about children, uh, you know, dipping into getting into the vaccinations. Uh, you mentioned the news about the, the boosters. It certainly was not a rubber stamp to say absolutely everybody uh, should get that booster, as we found uh, now from uh, what we heard about last week about boosters. Um, you know, I think the the original recommendation of having the entire swath of the country, you know, 16 and above get boosters, um, uh, you know, as it was determined, it's too big. And so it was paired back to the 65 and older as well as high risk, uh, which does seem to make sense. So I think that kind of news probably may may cause some confusion and take a little bit of a pause. Uh, but I think when we take a look at it as, you know, individual groups instead of one entire swath of, you know, the entire populace, um, that's going to make it difficult. And again, as we saw last week, uh, it was not that rubber stamp to say everyone's going to get it. Um, as all decisions with children, I think it's, uh, you know, clearly I have kids myself, those are always tough decisions, tougher, seemingly uh, tougher decisions to make than, let's say, you know, yourself getting it. Um, so I think, um, you know, a lot of Americans, a lot of parents are going to have these questions and, and certainly, uh, you you know, rely on good sources, rely on your pediatrician uh, for further discussion on those. And we're, have to, we're going to have to go a little bit deeper than just surface level with a lot of the data, right? I mean, everyone's heard the, and we heard the governor last week talk about, you know, the scary stories in the news. Um, but, you know, once you dive in a little deeper, I'm looking at a recent New York Times piece, and you have to kind of dig in there, and they're looking at Seattle of uh, all of the children who have been hospitalized for covid in the recent months, um, about half of the children admitted were uh, people who are already eligible for the vaccine of our uh, kids older than 12 years old. And that's, you know, that's just part of the information that might not get through. You know, you're thinking, oh, it's all kids who are ineligible to be vaccinated. It's all these young kids. Uh, but we do have to look at all this information a little more carefully when having this discussion. That's right, Brian. And, and certainly I'd encourage everybody to take a look at all the numbers. Um, I think numbers wise, you can um, take a look at it from depending on how you slice it. You can take a look and make inferences. And so it is important uh, to, to have some reliable sources of numbers as well as education on all of these. And so uh, questioning, OK, let me take a look at that. Let's say new report. Uh, what what are some of the details behind it? So I think what we do know, and I think most people have uh, probably heard of this, is, you know, with this Delta variant, Delta is more transmissible. So the overall numbers that we are seeing is going up. So let's say 10, it's, let's just say 10 times more infective. So um, 
it's not surprising that we would see 10 times more of the numbers of people who may be hospitalized or have adverse effects, even though the percentage may still remain the same um, as prior. So we are definitely seeing the surge. There are, there are certainly higher numbers in the hospitals throughout the entire country uh, because of this variant itself. And so uh, when you take a look at those numbers, yes, you know, I, I think it's a great idea to dig deep, like you said, beyond uh, kind of the first layer of it. But what we do have right now is we do know we have a, a virus that is constantly mutating. This current variant, which is dominating right now, is straining many areas of the country um, with, the, with the hospital rates and, and the uh, capacity that they have. Um, where it's going right now is hopefully, you know, hopefully this variant will burn out and hopefully we can help that along to burn it out uh, with the vaccinations as well as the social distancing as well as masking measures. Um, a big part of this decision for parents, I think, will be looking at uh, what we heard from Pfizer today, and that was that the uh, side effects similar to um, everyone else who had gotten the vaccine before um, with the new dose for 5 to 11 years old. And I think part of this is, and you know, this is in my experience, and I think I speak for a lot of people who know people, I mean, we know a ton of people who have gotten vaccinated, and the vast majority... I would say, had a day or two, uh, maybe a day and a half is probably the best way to, a day and a half where you're just, you feel either bad and anywhere from like feeling, for lack of a better term, not that great with language on a Monday morning after a Bills game, to, you know, running a fever and and being pretty sick uh, for the day after, which for most of us, not that big of a deal. Um, You know, we've all kind of had that feeling before. Uh, And then we certainly also know younger kids who have gotten COVID who, you know, speaking for myself and other people, obviously not in every case, but in general, you know, a lot of kids, it's maybe a runny nose or you might not even know that they have it in some point. So it might be tough for parents to say, and myself included, yes, I'll sign my child up for a day and a half of a, a really high fever and not feeling good, even if it's something I can deal with. I don't know if it's something I want, you know, a young child dealing with rather than, you know, just uh, what I've seen in COVID cases in kids in the past. Right. And it may even range to the kids not having any symptoms or feeling blah with the vaccine. I think most of us have talked to people who have gotten the vaccine of you know, a variety of ages, and it ranges from Hey, did I, is it even working? Did I, I didn't get any side effects, but I did get the shots to the, the blah that you're mentioning that you had, you're down and out for about a day and a half. So um, you're right. We do hear a lot of different varying ranges of what kind of side effects uh, people will get from this. And, you know, does it outweigh uh, the infection itself? Um, you know, overall, it does outweigh that. And I think as we develop more information data about you know, even if you get mild symptoms for COVID versus, uh, you know, symptoms from the vaccine, you know, if you're protected from not only the, the immediate illness, but are there any kind of long-term consequences that you could be protected against uh, just by not getting it? And so I think we there's more information, not just in the present right now, but down the road. Uh, you know, we've heard of the long haulers and long COVID symptoms of brain fog and things as such. Uh, that's something that is still relatively new, right? We only have, as you mentioned, a year and a half, two years of information on this. Uh, and I think that's something that we'll learn more down the road. So um, I think the general message is still best not to get uh, COVID itself, 
um, even in its mildest form, because uh, there may be um, other issues down the road. Again, we, we don't know yet, uh, but best just to try not to get it in the first place. Uh, I feel like most of the people who didn't have any sort of side effect from the vaccine are like older. Gener- My grandmother uh, ha- had that uh, reaction where she said she didn't notice anything. But I think that's just because generally people of that age are like tougher than like my age. They can deal with a lot more stuff than I can and not even notice it. They might have had a a symptom if they were, uh, you know, as big of a wuss as I was. Uh, One last question before we let you go, and that is what do you maybe foresee in terms of our policy and the best way to go about this? So many people, especially when talking about the reopening of schools, they're waiting on this vaccine for things to return to normal. And, And I often sense a disconnect when people talk about this as if they believe that everybody is going to immediately rush and get that vaccination because we know that's not going to be the case. Uh, you can kind of break it down, and the state does break it down by age group. Certainly, if you're in a high-risk age group, um, you know, 55 to 64, almost 90% of people have been vaccinated. Uh, over 96% of people, 65 to 74 across the state, have been vaccinated. But you go down to 12 to 15-year-olds, and that vaccine has been available for some time. It's about 58%. And, you know, this idea that people are going to rush out and, you know, make that decision to get their kids 5 to 11 vaccinated, I think is is not really accurate in terms of what to expect. I Are you maybe in the short term seeing this as something that hopefully will eventually be a great benefit to all, but in the short term is more of a for parents who have been really, really deeply concerned for a year and a half maybe just giving them a sense of security. Yeah, I think this is going to play out similar to when the vaccines first came out a um, year and a half ago. Um, there's going to, there's definitely people who are going to want it and want to get their kids vaccinated right away. Uh, I think there's going to be, there's going to be parents who are going to wait a little bit longer and there's going to be some that just don't want it. I think it's going to play out um, probably in a similar fashion because the parents are making these kind of decisions. So I think we are going to see a lot of a lot of kids getting vaccination and then there's going to be some that, you know, quite a bit that may not get it. I think this is all going to be, you know, one piece and a next step towards getting back to the normal. You know, earlier this summer, it actually felt uh, it felt reasonably normal uh, right after the school season. Beginning this summer, I think our rates are fairly low. The vaccines were um, really getting out in good numbers. Um, it was being very widely available. So it felt really pretty normal. I think the rest of the year was very optimistic. Then we hit Delta. Uh, so we have to course correct a bit. But I think getting, you know, getting the vaccination, you know, to these age groups is going to get us to that next step to hopefully get us back to as normal as we can. Um, as you mentioned, what is that normal going to be? Uh, difficult to say right now. Uh, but again, I, I think uh, the measures that we have right now will try to get us back to as normal as we can. Um, you know, let's get through this season. Uh, let's hopefully have a good school year, a safe school year, and let's see where we are in the next several months. But uh, again, I think this is a good next step to getting towards that uh, where we all want to get to. Dr. Chow, as always, thanks so much for the help in unpacking a lot of these things for us. Dr. Joe Chow is medical director at Western New York Media Care. He's been joining us live for the first part of the show. Appreciate having him on, as always. Uh, your thoughts on everything, 803-0930. You can uh, join us for the rest of the show, certainly talking more about this. Uh, and there's plenty more to get to. I mean, the school bus issue does not go away. 
I mean, I will double down on it. We uh, talked with Jill Schlesinger about that earlier uh, today as the state uh, new ways to get more school bus drivers. Um, and then on the, the vaccine, uh, 5 to 11 years old, Pfizer says it is effective. It will be reviewed, of course, by the FDA. What is, I, I really don't, even with as much as the vaccination conversation has changed over the past several months, I don't think this has changed so much. Um, and I'll explain what I mean when we come back, uh, but you can weigh in. 803-0930 on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text border by giving us a call. This morning, you're listening to BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. It's BMAS and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. BMAS and Beamer here on WBEN. Brian Mazarowski here with you. I uh, just spoke with Dr. Joe Chow about uh, well, some of the latest news when it comes to vaccinations. Pfizer saying they've uh, tested and they're satisfied with their data on their vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11. It's about a third of the dose that has been given to just about anywhere, everybody else. It does lead to a lot of questions like 11 versus 12. You know, you, a week passes, and all of a sudden you go from getting a third dose is good enough to the full thing. I mean, it is kind of strange when you look at all these. And I really think that even with all of the talk and confusion and really heightened, uh, what do I want to say here? The inflamed response that we've had for vaccines. I mean, I was thinking about this morning when the same news came out for uh, just the general public, right? For older Americans, for uh, everybody else, that there was not any vitriol. There was, not, I mean, there was a celebration that, you know, hey, we're making some progress in this. And now it's a completely different story. But I think generally the situation has not changed. And really the, the stats that I brought up at the end with Dr. Chow show that this is the case. Generally speaking, you know, for most people, especially once you reach a certain age, I think, you know, 30 or so might be around that age and speak as a 31-year-old, that when you heard about the vaccine, generally speaking, you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll get it. I'm not going to be the first one in line, but I'll get it when it's my turn because by then, it's probably millions of other people all around the world have uh, gotten it. Most people who I trust have told me that, you know, it's probably the safe and right thing to do and your best uh, shot at, uh, you know, having a good outcome when you get COVID. So, yeah, I mean, kind of makes sense, right? And the, the stats would show that I think most people are uh, along that. As I said with Dr. Chow, 65 to 74-year-olds in New York State, uh, over 96%, nearly 90% of uh, people 55 to 64 you're hovering around 80%, 35 to 54 of people who have gotten that uh, vaccine. 26 to 34 even, over 70% of people have gotten the vaccine. I think that's generally speaking. You know, if, speaking for myself, that's my uh, opinion on it. When it was my turn in line, I said, sure. I, as far as I know, I haven't had COVID in the past. No protection over it. Give me the one shot, please. I don't want to take two. 
and, you know, millions of other people, like I said, around the world and here in the state and the country have gotten it. Talk to these doctors every week. I'm confident in their confidence. It's not as easy of a decision, though, when you're talking about your kids. And like I said, that's been true from the very get-go. And that's been true because I remember having these interviews with Dr. Chow, Dr. Russo, other people, and saying there's a very different calculation. When you're talking about people who are over 55, and when you're talking about people who are under 12 years old, when you're going in middle school, and, and anyone who says differently is not being true to themselves, is, uh, you know, is not really thinking this through. You know, I think I, we talked about this with Cole Beasley, that you know, his, whether or not you agree with his stance and his decision, I think one thing that everybody should be, and apparently everybody is not in agreement of, is that you don't treat Cole Beasley the same as you treat your, you know, 70-year-old grandmother or something, right? They're, they're not the same person when it comes to COVID. And that's born true out of a year and a half of living through all of this. And, and that's especially true when dealing with children. And I opened it up to Dr. Chow by asking, you know, they used a third of a dose. What was to stop them from using a quarter of a dose? What was to stop them from using a placebo? Because to, and we were mentioning this when the vaccine became available and you hear these uh, numbers, 95% effective against, you know, if you get COVID, 95% effective of stopping your risk of going to the hospital. And, you know, 99 plus percent effective of stopping your risk for, from dying of COVID in those older age groups. And I said, if you transferred that to a younger age group, I mean, that is being young is the vaccine because you see these numbers in kids, right? A kid is COVID 90 plus percent effective of staying out of the hospital, of not having a negative outcome, of maybe not realizing they have COVID in the first place. So that risk reward calculation changes greatly. When you're talking about younger people, and you see it in the stats, you go down 12 to 15 years old, months and months and months the vaccine's been available for 12 and up, and it's 58%. And I think that is pretty much what you're going to see. That it is people who are very concerned about this. And it, despite what you see in the national news, it's not everybody. I saw, I think it was either New York Times or Washington Post, you know, wrote about, oh, the horrors of being a parent of somebody aged younger than 11. It's just every day. It's just nothing but madness. And uh, you're doing nothing but uh, going crazy over the fact that you can't have the... And, you know, I walk around my day-to-day life and that's not what I see. That's not what I see at all. I see more parents who are comforted by the data than I see people who are so distraught over not being able to get a vaccine for their kids. And I think that's what you'll see when this does become approved at some point before the end of the year. And you see, if you look at the graph, right, it goes down as the age number goes down, whereas 96.1% of people 65 to 74 have gotten vaccinated. It just keeps dropping as you go along the age groups. It's 58% 
12 to 15. And when you put that 11 to 12, it'll be under 58%. It might be under 50%. And so what will the reaction be? And that's going to be our next big question going forward. Debbie, you're on WBEM. What's going on? Oh, hi. Am I on? Yeah, you're on, Debbie. How's it going? Hi. Yeah, hi. I, I, okay. I had a question regarding um, the vaccinations for the children 5 to 12 um, when the doctor was on. Uh, when they talk about effectiveness, um, how are they arriving at that? Mm-hmm. Are they exposing children or anybody when they say effectiveness against the COVID? Now, I, I think if I can try to answer this to the best of my knowledge, from what I understand, it's basically you're using control groups that you have a bunch of people who have uh, volunteered to get vaccinated and a bunch of people who obviously aren't because it hasn't been approved yet. And you have the same number of kids across the same you know age range in both groups. And generally speaking, you'll have them both live the same type of life, right? Uh, they're both in the same area, the same level of COVID exposure. And then you compare those two groups, right? And, and you can say, all right, well, one group, there was X amount of kids have had COVID and the other, there's X amount of kids who have had COVID. And that's generally how you're looking at this. But Debbie, you raise a, a good question. That is, how do you, right, if we were gauging this in other age groups as the vaccine is effective when it keeps you out of the hospital, how do you gauge that amongst a group that is, generally speaking, not going to go to the hospital when you get COVID? Yeah, my question, too, how do you know if, if by your exposure, is that going to have you get hospitalized or not? Um, you know, for myself, I did receive both. I had the Moderna vaccine. And so I had the two vaccines. And shortly after my second dose, I did experience a lot of um, medical problems, such as blood clotting. Um, so I had blood clot. I had generalized body edema, and, um, which I had to deal with for months trying to get through that. Um, and then it was less than six months after the second dose, um, I was exposed to covid personally, you know, with a family member, close, so close contact, or I'm just saying not out in the environment, but close contact, and I acquired COVID less than six months after two vaccines. Prior to that, I do work in the medical profession, and I worked all through COVID at a hospital, and no vaccine, never acquired COVID. And after I get the vaccine, experiencing numerous um, Side effects, I would call those, even though the CDC, everything is called coincidences. Um, I do have concerns um, about how, you know, just generalized area. I mean, I went shopping, um, you know, when restaurants are open, um, even during COVID, you know, outside eating. I did all that and never acquired COVID. And then when I had really, really, really in a home, in a confined area, acquired COVID. Well, that's generally speaking, Debbie, thanks for the call. I mean, generally speaking, that's what, that's what, uh, go back four months ago, why so many people were up in arms about you're closing uh, restaurants, you're closing gyms, you're closing this and that, and these theaters are not able to reopen when we know where do most people get COVID? Inside of a living room. 
Right inside of a small space, and I mean, you hit it right. You sound confused, but you hit it on the head. You were in a small enclosed space, and then you got COVID, and that's kind of how it happens. Although it is very random. Of you know, listen, I, how can you ever tell when you're going to get an infectious disease? You you could get it um, screaming next to somebody at an indoor concert. Sure, you can also get it talking to somebody in your living. I mean, you can't stress over that part too much or else you'll probably drive yourself crazy but I, I'm I want to focus in on when it comes to getting kids I mean the calculation does change and I, I think there is a little bit of a disconnect when you hear uh, whether it's Kathy Hochul or somebody else talk about well the vaccine you know this is going to be great for the reopening of schools and I think their sense is, because they're basing this a lot of what they see, you know, what you read in the New York Times and what you see on national TV. I think the sense that they have is parents can't wait for this vaccine. Everyone's going to rush out and get the vaccine for their kids who are going to school ages 5 to 11. And, you know, really, that's not going to be the case. And I think the numbers show that uh, that will not be the case. I would bet for probably maybe 50-50 split, maybe fewer than half people are, are going to rush out and get that vaccination. Uh, Lou in Amherst, you're on WBEN. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for taking my call. Listen, uh, the statistics are, are interesting, but you haven't brought up the statistics, which David and Tom are really uh, – uh, talking about constantly, and that's about therapeutics. Now, I think David does a lot of homework, and I believe he's pretty accurate when he talks about the 73 million children we have in this United States, and I believe the number was 17,000 people, 17,000 children got COVID. Of that 17,000, eight died. Five had cancer, three had upper respiratory infections. See, now, Lou, this is where I'm going to stop you, and this is where I'm not going to dive into the statistics because what you mention, and listen, I'm, I'm not going to, because I, I quite frankly, I, I don't know what David and Tom are bringing up and what information they're looking at. And what you're bringing up 17, I think you can uh, look at a whole bunch of other things uh, that say it's uh, around three to 500. And the answer is unclear. And you brought up the amount of kids who have had COVID. There is no way of knowing how many kids have had COVID across uh, the entire U.S. I mean, there is no way of knowing. And uh, the end result of what you're trying to say, right, is that COVID does not present the huge threat to kids who are, and especially younger kids. And that's correct. And we've seen that. And that's why I'm saying that this is a different calculation. This is where it gets tricky. And I, you knew this as soon as they were talking about vaccination for adults, is that when you start talking about kids, it becomes more tricky because it is not the same threat to kids as adults. And how do you balance that? And and how do you balance the discussion of a natural immunity, because that is only going to be a question that gets louder when you start talking about this vaccine. And that the the line of we don't have enough data on that 
is only going to look more and more like a pile of, you know, whatever. Stuff that you can't say on the radio. When you start talking about these vaccines, because how long has this study been going on of the vaccination age 5 to 11? How long has the study been going on about the vaccine in total, right? And how long have we known people who have had COVID? It's been over a year and a half. It's been 18, 19 months. And if you are going to look me in the eye and tell me that we have, and and this is right or wrong, you can look me in the eye and tell me, oh, we have the data, we're confident in the vaccine for ages 5 to 11. Okay, you know, listen, I believe, if you're confident, I am apt to believe you. And, you know, if all these medical experts say that they're confident in, in this, yes, okay. You can't also look me in the eye and tell me, oh, we just don't have enough information to say something about natural immunity. Well, what do you mean? You're so confident in this data that you've been collecting for six months, but we have at least three times the amount of information on natural immunity and we're refusing to acknowledge it? And that's what, right, that is what breeds a lot of the pushback and a lot of the discontent that you hear every single day when it comes to to, uh, vaccine mandates and how aggressively the vaccine is being pushed out there. That is only feeding into it. And the quicker you acknowledge it, and this is a very uniquely North American thing, right, where it's the U.S. and Canada are, are two of the only countries that do not acknowledge that sort of natural immunity. The quicker you acknowledge it, the talk is starting in Canada, by the way, no talk here. The quicker we get to that point, the quicker you're going to be able to have these reasonable discussions with people, right? I I mean, you can't blatantly ignore something and then expect everyone to be on board with whatever else it is you're saying. It's all taken in. And while you will have a lot of people who will say, okay, yes, uh, whatever you're saying, that's fine. You have a lot more who say, hang on, wait a second. I, my kid has had COVID. They've recovered. They're fine. And everything's great. Can you tell me why they need a vaccination on top of that? And that's going to be a big question. Can you tell me with conviction and tell me with also looking at this natural immunity point what I should do? And by omitting part of that information, you're really only asking for more of this, I don't know what you call it, discontent, more of this pushback and forth that's been going on. And more of the, really, it's confusion that leads to all this. More confusion. Because it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It can make sense. I mean, we know things. Just get all the information out there. And I think more people would be apt to believe what you're saying. We got into a lot today. Uh, We thank Dr. Joe Chow for joining us, so we didn't get into so much more. Like, uh, oh, Kreiner Cash, Buffalo School Superintendent, saying uh, 
Uh, he appreciated the governor's quick response to the challenge of school bus drivers. I don't know, is a month into school a quick response of a problem we know has uh, been, you know, kind of a percolating underneath the surface for the last five months? Is that, cons- is that a quick response? I don't think it is. $100 an hour. Let's go. Uh, we didn't even get a chance to dive into that, but maybe tomorrow. And uh, I'm hoping Joe is back with me tomorrow here on BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.